With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon, and we're here for another week. I'm speaking from Wolverhampton, uh, the host city for the Kazoo Players Championship. And uh, I'm going to get right into it. Okay, John Higgins won the Championship League. Well done to him, all the rest of it. But uh, last week we had a, an email, a great email from Tony Finnegan, um, who said uh, that his memory of childhood snooker was that, of course, they didn't in those days, we're talking late 80s, early 90s, they didn't in those days have the permanent score graphic on screen. And Tony remembers that uh, the first time you saw the break listed when they flashed up the score was on 44. Well... I don't like to use words like backlash, but we've had, we've had some correspondence suggesting it's not quite right. Uh, James Heat has written, like your correspondent from the last podcast, I was also so I also was curious about when the break would show on the score when watching Snoop as a child. However, I'm pretty sure they started showing the break when it reached 40, not 44. And Clive Stringer has uh, actually sent a screen grab of a match with the break of 40 on the screen. So, now, Tony was very uh, very sure about this, and, in fact, he seemed to base his entire childhood, and, and indeed, adulthood, around it. So, uh, it may be that um, at some point it changed. I don't know. But uh, I, I have seen photographic evidence. I'm, I'm taking it as read that it's not been doctored um, because, you know, it's such an important subject. People, people might be tempted to do that. Um, but it seems, and a couple of other people on Twitter have said, actually, it is 40 so, but Tony remembers it as 44, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, I think I've said before on this podcast that uh, our memories are often memories of memories. In other words, he has a fixed memory of it being 44, and that's fine. That's fine. We don't judge, but other people are saying it's 40. And, you know, we can't duck these big issues. We have to, we have to tackle them head on. So uh, that, is, uh, that is that, really. Now, Clive Stringer... Uh, he also has gone on to say this. He said, last week you were speculating when the scores on the TV screens became a permanent fixture. Because, of course, nowadays you just get that locked off graphic with the scores on, which is very useful if you're just tuning in, you know what, what the score is. He said, if you replay the 1994 World Championship decider between White and Hendry, the scores do not appear from the get-go, whereas the following year, Hendry v Bond, they do. So the answer, at least in terms of BBC coverage, is the season 94 to 95. Uh, that tallies with kind of what I thought. I thought it'd be around then, ninety three, ninety four. Um, 
I'm guessing probably early season. So maybe the maybe the first event was the '94 Grand Prix. Um, <laughs> I could guarantee no one else in the world is talking about this stuff right now. But anyway, that's uh, that's that. Now then, uh, I, I came on r- rather grandly last week saying that we were number one in Fiji on the Apple Sports Podcast chart, which we were, by the way, we were. This week, number three. So <laughs> I can only conclude that F- Fiji are a fickle bunch. They're saying, come on, you know, we're, last week was all very good, but you've got to, you've got to up the pace a bit, you know, you've got to get a bit more content, otherwise we've got other things uh, we want to listen to. The number one last week uh, was a podcast called What a Lad. Uh, I don't know what it's about, um, but anyway. Uh, so number three, but I'll take number three. I'll take number three, that's okay. Um, anyway, Paul Wilson uh, takes the credit for this. He says, about your rising star in Fiji... I think I may have played a part in it. About a, about a week or so ago, I refollowed your podcast and hit the five-star rating in my home in Suva, where I currently work. Good to know it had an impact. As an Australian who's previously spent a fair bit of time in Europe, I really miss the snooker on Eurosport. I catch streamed highlights and matches here where I can. The play this season has been something to behold. Your podcast also helpfully keeps me up to date. Please keep it going for your global audience. Well, I'm thinking of moving to Fiji, actually, and doing it from there. But, uh, no, well, yeah, I don't know how you're watching Fiji. Do you have Matchroom Live? Uh, I believe Facebook. It's claimed by World Snooker Tour that wherever you are in the world, you can watch it on one of these platforms. If it's not on TV, uh, you can watch it on streaming. So um, hopefully you can uh, see it, uh, even if you can't uh, any longer get Eurosport. By the way, I, I'd rather glossed over John Higgins <laughs> winning the Championship League. It was a fine performance. It's the third time now that Higgins has come in in Group 7, which is played immediately before the winner's group, and won that and then won the winner's group. Now, he should have lost in the semis to Yambing Tao, who was clear enough to beat him in the decider and, and, and but frankly, made a bit of a mess of it. Uh, Mr. Difficult Pink in the end and left it on. It was all Higgins needed. But John Higgins, he said uh, last week uh, in Leicester that he feels he's playing the best he's ever played. Now, John, one thing with John Higgins, he's not boastful in any way. He's very humble, actually. So if he thinks that, then he believes it. Or rather, if he says that, then he believes it. And um, who are we to argue with the great man? Um, it's frightening, I think, for, <laughs> for everyone else, that he feels at the age of 46, 30 years into his career, he's playing his best ever snooker. I do feel I'm coming round to the view that he might have another really good world championship, possibly win it. Um, he just seems to be, you know, he's had a consistent season. You know, he's, he's playing a consistent level of snooker. And, yeah, I, I, I just get the feeling, possibly, it could be number five this year. We'll see. Um, well, we will see, because we'll find out in, in, in a couple of months' time. But in terms of the Championship League, uh, another fine performance from him and uh, another fine uh, performance all round by Matchroom Multisport, who put the tournament on, always very friendly and helpful. Um, and it's a, it's a good event. It's on free sports. Now, we had a, I, I, I claimed last week, or I thought, anyway, that free sports actually um, is is free on Freeview in the UK. So it's a free channel um, and, uh, you know, it's available all around the country. But uh, it, it seems a few people on Twitter got in contact to say it's not quite right. And uh, we did have James Heat actually did, did email this. He said, free sports is on Freeview, but it only covers about 63% of the UK population as it, it's only on some of the main TV transmitters. People with old TVs or old set-top boxes will not be able to receive it as it uses a newer standard, now this is getting technical here, DVB-T2 rather than DVB-T. 
I've no idea what that is, but anyway. Uh, furthermore, even if you live in the coverage area, your aerial may not be suitable to pick up free sports. For example, in the London area, there was a reorganisation of frequencies a couple of years ago, meaning that many people who have the usual type of aerial installed in that region, Group A, will not work well for the frequency used by free sports. The frequencies used by free sports have been sold off to mobile phone companies for 5G and will need to be vacated by June 2022 at the latest. So free sports will be off Freeview soon unless they can find alternative frequencies. However, the rest of the Freeview capacity is full, so it will require another channel to leave Freeview. <laughs> well, there's a few candidates for that, aren't there? I mean, I'm not sure the world really needs all those sort of auction uh, channels bid up and bid down and you know all that stuff but uh anyway um well i didn't know all that that's it's very detailed um i have watched it definitely on freeview in hotels um in the past so you can get it in various places obviously it's on sky but <laughs> it's not free then is it you know by, by the very nature you're paying for sky so um yeah i hope that's resolved surely in this day and age as well they could work out some sort of streaming package which brings me to another topic actually um as ever, this has been well planned. Somebody, um, well, quite a few people contacted me about Eurosport at the German Masters. The first session of the final wasn't on the TV version of Eurosport. And it, it, people were not happy about that because they'd watched it all week. Obviously, it was an exciting final in prospect, Zhao Jingtong and Yan Bingtao. And obviously, by the time it came on at night, we only got one frame because Zhao won 9-0. Um, but here's the thing, OK? There's a, a service called Discovery Plus, which is a streaming service, and they show all the snooker that Eurosport shows, plus all the extra stuff. So they show all the other tables, they show the qualifiers, and any snooker that's on Euros Eurosport, that Eurosport have, they show, even if it's not on the main channel. And here's the thing, okay, Discovery Plus is £30, not per month, per year, okay? That's a deal that runs out of February the 20th, which is why I'm introducing it now so that people know, it's £30 for the whole year, basically, to watch snooker whenever you want. Or, of course, you could continue to give Sky whatever it is, 80 quid a month, to be at the mercy of schedulers. Here's the thing, particularly at weekends, the schedulers have to make a choice, because typically there's four or five sports on at the same time. Now, that Sunday, the, the men's Australian Open final, Rafa Nadal, um, was going on. That was obviously going to be shown. And on Eurosport 2, there was uh, an important cycling race, and the decision was, uh, was was made to show that. The snooker was live on Discovery+. Plus. Um, you know, it had to make way. Very often, other sports make way for snooker. We, they get loads of complaints from people saying, particularly when the snooker overruns, the Dakar Rally, it's always this time of year, the Dakar Rally um, in January, they have a sort of highlights programme, which is supposed to start at half, half ten during the Masters, and invariably it never does, because the Masters, the matches overrun, and the Dakar Rally fans, you know, if there are switchboards, they jam them. They jam the switchboards and say, you know, where is it? Well, it's, it's following the snooker. Um, so these choices have to be made. But here's the thing. You can make your own choice. You can make your own choice. You don't have to rely on the linear TV channels. The world has changed. And it's the same BBC have this. They have the red button and they have choice of tables online. You can make your own choice. 30 quid a year for Discovery Plus. It's a discount. It's normally 60. But if you sign up now... Oh, I'm not getting any kickback from this. I haven't been asked to promote it. I'm doing this. I've, I've signed up myself. So I've paid the money myself actual money, 30 quid for the whole year to get all the tables from tournaments, all the qualifiers. We've got the world qualifiers on there exclusively. And as I say, if it's not on Eurosport, you can watch it on there. One of the problems I think, and I've said this before, and it's true of all TV channels, is people at work in TV think everyone else understands it. So you hear this phrase, for example, the BBC say, watch on a connected TV. Well, what is that? <laughs> What's a connected TV? 
most people don't know because they don't speak this language, you know. When you find out, oh, so I plug in my Amazon Fire Stick and I can watch it on there, fine, that's perfect, I'll do that. But they need to explain it a bit more and maybe uh, this this service needs to be um, promoted a bit more. But it's great, you know, I've got it, and, it, and the Winter Olympics is on now, you can choose different sports, it's fantastic, it's great value, it really is great value, £30 a year to watch as much snooker as you can possibly stomach. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, th that's the answer to it. If, if um, there will be times coming up, I'm sure, where there's other programmes that can't fit on those two Eurosport channels, but Discovery Plus will have it all. I should say, I'm talking about in Britain, I don't know, I don't know if that offer applies anywhere else. I'm sure you can get Discovery Plus, obviously, all around, but I don't know what the pricing will be. It may be different in different countries. But in the UK, until February the 20th, Discovery Plus is 30 quid, and that's a bargain, I think. And, uh, you know, then you won't miss a ball. Now, Matt Tarrant, uh, correspondent in Derby, I believe, he said, I emailed a couple of weeks ago and took the mick about Rob Walker's At Home with Yambing Tao film. In doing so, I maybe I used maybe a little too much sarcasm. Well, I, I'm not sure we can ever have too much sarcasm, Matt, but anyway, he says it's too easy to sit here and snipe. <laughs> Indeed it is, I do it most weeks. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm sort of... I'm sort of doing a double act here with with Matt's email. Uh, he continues, You rightly pointed out that Rob is positive, professional and a lovely bloke and in my view this comes over in everything he does. I found new admiration for Rob after listening to his Winter Olympic commentary of the women's biathlon cross-country skiing. He's either followed the sport closely for years or has done enough research to sound like he has. Either way, very impressive and he added to my enjoyment to the event and he didn't use the word wow once. Rob, if you listen, I'm sorry for previous comments Surely he can't listen to this and watch so so much winter sport. Uh, just on that, he, he he does a lot of research, Rob. I mean, he's, he's sort of meticulous, and that's obviously, you know, the way to be if you're if you're commentating on the Olympics. Anyway, uh, Matt continues. It was interesting to hear your Fiji news last week. It got me thinking. Do you know exactly how many listeners you have each week, and would you be prepared to share? I can understand why you might not, but it would be interesting to know how many of us there are. I occasionally listen to other snooker podcasts. <laughs> Are there others? Uh, but in my view, this one is far and away the best. will be missed when it isn't here after the thousandth episode. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you, Matt. Well, uh, the short answer is I don't really know. Um, you can get... Uh, you can sort of track it in terms of the charts, as, I've, as, I've, as I explained with Fiji. And um, the da you can... I believe on Apple, you can get the download figures. Um, uh, to be honest, though... I'm not obsessed with all that because, say, it was I don't know four thousand. I, mean, I don't. I'm not saying it is, but say it was. Would you know? And then one week it was three thousand nine hundred. Would I then have to sit there obsessing that a hundred people, you know, didn't listen that week? I, I don't want to get into all that. I'm very grateful um, that anyone listens, frankly, <laughs> and amazed. <laughs> so um, yes, so thank you uh, for asking, but I don't, I don't really know, and I, I, I'm not going to obsess about that. I, I like the fact that. And we get regular emails from people, including yourself. I like the fact that there's obviously loyal listeners. I think that's good. And, um, yeah, so the exact number I don't know. But, uh, you know, well, in Fiji, it, seem, <laughs> it seems to be everybody. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Anthony writes, I'm wondering what your opinion is on Ronnie O'Sullivan not bothering to turn up for the Turkish Masters unless a financial benefit was provided. A new tournament in a new market for snooker would have really helped with him in attendance as a popular player in the game. Snooker has made him the millions he has, and I find it disappointing he didn't bother. All the other players from the winning interviews can't wait to get over there. A hot potato here, Anthony. Well, um, yeah, there was a story that he'd asked the promoters for appearance money. They turned him down, and now he's not going. 
here's the thing. He's perfectly entitled to ask them, and they're perfectly entitled to say either yes or no. This is not World Snooker. This is independently being promoted. Uh, normally, if, when he uh, in China Chinese tournaments, he goes if he gets appearance money. That's standard in other sports for the top stars. Um, I don't criticise him for asking, and I don't criticise them for turning it down. I think it's a bit unfortunate this has all sort of come out because it's not really anybody else's business. Um, whenever money's sort of discussed, you know, people get get very strong opinions. He obviously feels he's worth more than the other players. The problem with that is, you know, you're only worth it if people are prepared to pay it. Your value is not determined by you. It's, deva- it's, it's determined by the people with actual the actual purse strings. And if they don't think it's worthwhile paying him, then he can't be worth it. Um, he's got money, go- as I say, for some other tournaments, but I think it's a shame he's not going there. Um, you know, it's, it seems like a great uh, a week for snooker to be going to a brand new country. It's a big money tournament, hundred thousand the winner um, in a beautiful part of the world, Antalya. So it's a shame, but it'll survive without him. You know, the, the days when he was absolutely needed in the field are long gone, long gone. Um, and you know, if he here's the thing: if you surrender the spotlight, other people have their chance to shine, um, and that's happened plenty of times before. So I don't criticise him um, for asking, and I don't criticise them for saying no. Um, and I wouldn't have criticised them had they said yes. It's entirely up to them what they do um, and who they want to pay and not pay. They've obviously decided they're not going down that route, and fair play to them. Uh, the other thing, though, is you know, it's, I guess it's easy to sit, and people have criticised him for it, but. You know, we're not Ronnie O'Sullivan. We haven't lived that life. Um, he's been told his whole life that he's special. And he is when it comes to snooker. He is special. And he's the face they put on the posters. And he's used to sell the sport. So he, I think, understandably feels, oh, actually, maybe, you know, I am kind of above most other players in some ways. Um, so, you know, maybe that uh, informed his thinking. But um, the, the event goes on. I'm sure it'll be a great... Week I've just had, of course, the qualifiers uh, in Leicester, and uh, a lot of the big names got through. So that'll be coming up next month. Paul Tibble writes: He says I've just seen the fluke of all flukes from Scott Donaldson. Voodoo magic indeed. Now this was last week at the Championship League, which is probably more than anything else that happened last week. People were talking about it's an extraordinary fluke. I'm sure you've seen it. Most people will have seen it online. Uh, Scott Donaldson. Uh, the, the the red that he attempted it ran up the right-hand rail of the, po- of, the, of the table, came off the table, swerved because it was spinning. I think it bounced down the rail, but it was still spinning as it came off the table, swerved round the blue and into the opposite middle. An extraordinary thing. Um, and I spoke to Scott about it, and he was still a bit nonplussed about how it all But He didn't see it go in. He didn't see the red go in, because he, why would he be looking at that pocket? Um, yeah, anyway, it was extraordinary. But anyway, Paul says, just put my tickets for the Welsh Open at the end of the month. My first live snooker ever. Sad fact is I've been a snooker fan since my first game, the 1985 Black Ball Final. I was only 10 and mum allowed me to stay up till the finish despite having school the next day. As much as, it, as, it'll, be, as, much as it'll be a delight to watch the world's best in the flesh, so to speak, I'm hoping to get to witness something magical and be able to say I was there. Keep up the good work on all formats. Enjoying your Eurosport column. Well, thank you. Yes, the column uh, this week is about Judd Trump and Ronnie O'Sullivan. You can read it on the Eurosport website. It's out uh, early each week. But, uh, yeah, well, enjoy it. Uh, you know, and there's, it's very different to watching on TV. Um, you know, because, apart from anything else, you can watch whatever table you like. And, indeed, when you're there in the audience, you can watch whatever you like. Hopefully, you will see something special. The Welsh is a great tournament. It's always been a great tournament. It's in a great time of the year, I think. Sort of between the Masters and the World Championship, that little run of tournaments where you know things feel really 
really important in that little sort of into the spring um, few weeks. So, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy that. Uh, in the, the Celtic Manor, I believe, in Newport this year. We move on. By the way, this week, if you hadn't cottoned on already, this week we're going through emails. <laughs> Maybe I should have made that clear at the start. Hopefully there will be a, a guest on soon, uh, if, if anyone wants to come on. But uh, yes, uh, otherwise it's, it's the emails. Simon writes, a quick query about the number of snooker players who actively use or consult with sports psychologists. The thought has been prompted by today's action. This is Saturday in the German Masters, so this is a couple of weeks ago. In this afternoon's match, Ricky Walden looked by far the strongest player and had a shot on the green to send him 4-1 up. He missed it and his game, although not completely falling apart, appeared to be suddenly infested with a loss of confidence. Naturally, he went on to lose the match. In this evening's session, Mark Allen appeared to be far stronger than Jan until he missed pink for frame two, although I'm sure he claims it was a kick. And after this, his fluency disappeared. He says, as I write this, I still don't know the outcome of the match. Well, we do know that Jan won that 6-4. Uh, there appears to be a ready market for more sports psychologists to step in here as the most successful sportsmen are able to compartmentalise errors or bad luck, whilst others are not. Is Steve Peters, who worked extensively with Ronnie O'Sullivan for a while, the only sports psychologist working in the game? Indeed, is he still working in the sport at all? <coughs> it's an interesting point, this, Simon, and the thing is, the very nature of sort of sports psychology, it's often private, so we don't really know how many there are, because players, I think, quite understandably, want to keep that to themselves. It's a private thing. Um, Steve Peters, I think Ronnie does now and again still ring him up, um, and uh, I think this, they have a sort of relationship where he can ring him up. Um, there are others. Uh, Tom Ford uh, was seeing one at one point, and various other players have definitely seen them, but like I say, they keep it kind of private, because it is kind of private. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it can help. Um, I think... <sighs> The thing about snooker, obviously, you know, it's the old cliche, it's played in the mind, but it is true. And I guess the only danger is sort of clouding the mind with too much thought. You know, if you've got a technical coach telling you to do something, you've got a mind coach telling you to do something, um, but you're trying to <laughs> you're trying to sort of pull it all together in the moment, it can't be easy. Of course, Chris Henry, um, who worked with both, <laughs> both world finalists last year at the World Championship, Mark Selby and Sean Murphy, he is a technical coach who also has... Uh, an enormous amount to say about sort of the mind and, 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 and the mental side of snooker. Um, so he's very active with, with a number of players. But yeah, I don't think it hurts. Snooker's a very individual, isolating game at times, and I don't think it hurts certainly to seek out, you know, help, you know, if you feel if you feel you need it. Now, Joe Richards, of course, the Players' Championship this week in Wolverhampton, he says, I just want to get your take on the winner of the shootout, basically guaranteeing themselves entry for the Players' Championship. Hussain Vafai is a fantastic player and such a gentleman, so I don't think anyone would begrudge him anything. Plus, even if he didn't qualify, he would have, had, he would have just about had enough consistency to have squeezed into the 16 regardless. I think it's a strange one, though, almost getting a place purely because of that achievement alone, when you look at the fact that 60,000 points basically guarantees entry. The rewards for winning the shootout are massive when you consider you automatically get entry to two of the biggest tournaments on tour. I suppose Jordan Brown similarly qualified for both when he won the Welsh Open last year, but that seems a much fairer qualification. Therefore, I suppose the main point is the points reward for winning tournaments in general seems to be too top-heavy compared to rewarding consistency. I actually enjoyed the end of the shootout this year in terms of performing under pressure and the fun element. I watched the semis and the final, but hardly any of the previous day's matches. I still can't see the overall value as a tournament. 
I honestly think the ATP Tennis Tour is scheduled so much better in terms of top players benefiting from picking and choosing their events. They can play eight or nine ATP 1000s and four out of nine ATP 500s. It'd be much better if the WST Tour was run like that and also top players were given buys. I'm an avid snooker fan and an avid tennis fan and I think the top eight to 16 players play in round, playing in round 128 in snooker whereas in tennis they get a buy to the last 64-32 in a lot of tournaments. It's just pointless when 95% of the time they win. Top players getting preferential treatment just improves it from a fan's aspect rather than giving the top players an easy life. I bet if a survey was done on every sport, the percentage of fans that just want to watch Nadal, Federer, Djokovic and Ronnie Trump would be something like 80%. Having a flat 1-2-8 draw in all home nations events just makes it a bit more boring in my opinion and holding top players matches over to the main tournament is such a backward solution. Just give them a bye and make the lower ranked players battle it out instead. Well, there's a lot there, uh, Joe. I mean, we've talked about the ranking system before, and, and, and it is what it is. Um, I have certain issues with it, um, and I have certain issues with the flat draw. It used to be that players were seeded through. That made sense commercially. Um, I don't think there's going to be any backtracking from World Snooker Tour on that. They've made their mind up, and that's that. Um, your point about the shootout, I mean, you kind of admit that you don't like the tournament, so that <laughs> that perhaps colours your overall view about whether the same Vafaya should effectively sort of get these rewards. I don't begrudge him at all. I, I, he won the tournament. Um, and if you're going to have a money list, I don't see why it shouldn't count towards it. Um, the, the, the argument about top being top-heavy for winners versus consistency is one that players have all the time. And a lot of it depends on who you are as a player and where you are as a player. If, you, if you're someone who gets to a lot of elastic teams and quarter-finals but is not a tournament winner, you're going to prefer that consistency is rewarded but if you're a player who you know is is capable of winning tournaments then you, you're not going to mind getting that that massive boost that you get from from winning a, a big first prize so you make good points but it's not going to change that's the problem it's going to be it's going to remain like this i think world snooker have uh, have sort of made their mind up um these are these are issues we have discussed a few times ben cody I'm an absolutely massive fan of your podcast. It kills hours of my time driving back and forth to my army camp in Salisbury to my home in South Wales. I'm absolutely devastated that Mark Selby has not qualified for the P- for the Players' Tour Championship. Uh, for the Players' Championship. It doesn't sit right with me that he's world number one and current world champion. I understand all about the one and two year ranking list, but it just doesn't feel right. This being said, I would love you to quash an age-old argument me and my mate Jamie have had in snooker for years, and it's thus... Who is the better player, Mark Selby or Neil Robertson? I'd like to remind you that sitting on the fence causes splinters in the bottom. Please, in your opinion, state who and why. Many thanks. Keep up the podcast. It's become my Friday go-to, keeping me sane in mundane traffic. Well, <laughs> if we can do nothing more, it's keep people sane in traffic. Well, it's it, it's a huge question, actually. Um, I've, I mean, I'm going to slightly sit on the fence in the preamble to the answer. Um I admire them both hugely as players and people. I think they're both great guys. Uh, they've given a lot to snooker. They're different players. Um, both tough as old boots. Interestingly, recently, Robertson's had the beating of Selby. I think it's something like five or six times in a row. So, you know, in recent times, they've you know he's come out on top. Obviously, Mark Selby has beaten him. I mean, that win at the, uh, at the Crucible in 2014. Obviously, Mark went on to win the world title that year. Who's the better player? <coughs> it depends what you're looking at. Um, I think Neil Robertson. I mean, I met, there was a. I spoke to a player, well-known well sort of veteran player, who said he thinks Neil Robertson is the best player in the game. Um, and 
that's because of his cue action. He's sort of straight as an arrow. His ball striking, his long potting, break building. When he's playing his best, you know, he looks unbeatable. But that's true of <laughs> all the top players. Mark Selby's a different kind of player, I think. Um, he's maybe got more sort of nuance to his game, if you like. He can duke it out in the safety, more, but probably more sort of um, successfully than, than Robertson, who maybe he's less interested in that. Um, and at the Crucible, undoubtedly, Selby, you know, is the better player. At the World Championship, Mark Selby is the better player because he's won it four times and Neil Robertson's won it once. I mean, that's just a, a simple mathematical fact. So overall, you know, in terms of sort of ranking titles, they're about level. Who's the better player? Again, it depends what you're looking at. I think in, t- in a pure snooker sense, in terms of maybe aesthetics, I would have to say Robertson. But in terms of the World Championship, I'd have to say Mark Selby. And ultimately, you know, the the World Championship is what snooker players are de- snooker careers are defined by. So I think Mark Selby would just about get the edge because of that. But um, there was a lot of fencing there. But I, 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 I always feel with these things, it doesn't have to be one or the other. They're both great in their own way. Um, and because Robertson's come from a particular background in Australia, um, he didn't sort of have the advantages of growing up in the UK. Having said that, of course, Selby had serious disadvantages in his younger days as well. But um, anyway, that's my answer. They're both <laughs> they're both great. I think probably I think though you'd have to say gun to gun to head. You'd have to go for Mark Selby because of the World Championship. Um, so yeah, hopefully that settles your argument. Now we don't have a, an email, email of the week prize, but if we did, I think John Doran would win win this, or even John Doran possibly. Anyway, he says. What a breath of fresh air Zhao Jing Tong is. I was fa- fascinated. It was fascinating to watch his progress to the German Masters. There's something enigmatic about him. On the one hand, his style of play and the way he moves around the table seems very quiet and delicate. This could give you the impression that he may be delicate of temperament too and not able to stand up to the tough match play of some of the established players. It seemed that this may be so when he played John Higgins at the Masters, and to be honest, I thought it might be quite some time before he won another tournament after the UK Championship. But the way he won the German Masters, especially his wins over Williams, Trump and Walden, was very impressive. It appears he does have inner steel and a good match temperament. The prospect of extended rivalries with the likes of Judd Trump, Karen Wilson and Yan Bingtao bows very well for the coming years. Now, that's all great, John, and uh, all, all interesting, but this is, the, this is the good stuff now. This is the good stuff. He says, The Temperdrome seems like a great venue. My wife and I have a plan to travel to a big tournament each year. The Crucible is booked for 2022. And we now think we may opt for Berlin in 2023. As well as being a snooker fan, my other biggest obsession is Bob Dylan. <laughs> and Bob has performed at the Temperdrome several times. <laughs> that got me wondering about what other venues have hosted both a snooker tournament and a Bob Dylan concert. Three came to mind immediately. The Temperdrome, Wembley Arena and the Motorpoint Arena in Cardiff. But I wondered if there were more. And then I became obsessed with finding out. So I've cross-checked all the venues for the 3,823 concerts that Bob Dylan has played in his career so far. And the venues for all snooker tournaments worldwide from, it says, 1908 to the present. By the way, in doing this, I found the amazing website Q-Tracker, of which I was not previously aware. This website is highly recommended for those who don't know it. Yes, I mean, I, I, I applaud all of that. I just, turned, I just celebrated their 10th anniversary, actually, Q-Tracker. He says, I confined my search to professional snooker tournaments only. Anyway, at the end of this highly questionable use of time, I discovered 14 venues that have hosted both a professional snooker tournament and a Bob Dylan performance. And here they are. <clears throat> so I'm just going to list these uh, <clears throat> these venues now. 
We've got the NEC in Birmingham, Wembley Arena, Brighton Centre, Cardiff International Arena, Bournemouth International Centre, Telewest Arena in Newcastle, the Aberdeen Exhibition and Conference Centre, the Scottish Exhibition and Conference Centre in Glasgow, CBC Television Studios in Toronto, the Canadian National Exhibition Stadium in Toronto, the, uh, the World Trade Centre Kuala Lumpur, the Grand Stage Shanghai, the Stadthalle in Firth in Germany, and the Temperdrome in Berlin. John continues, <laughs> I would be interested to hear if listeners are aware of any others I may have missed. I wonder if the information above qualifies for what Bob refers to in the final verse of Tombstone Blues as your useless and pointless knowledge. I fear it may. Well, uh, <laughs> do do let us know if anyone can think of any others. Uh, that does seem quite exhaustive research. Um, yes, I, do, I, I suspect Bob Dylan is he's probably not a snooker fan, although, of course, Tangled Up in Blue was about Willie Thorne's uh, miss in the 1985 UK Championship final. I believe that's a, I believe that's a verifiable fact. Um so that's all fascinating, and uh, yes, I mean, all, all, all decent people are fans of Bob Dylan, I think you'll find. John Hill writes, I'm a relatively new listener to your podcast, but I'm enjoying listening to old episodes. I'm not sure if it's been suggested before, but an idea to enhance the viewing experience for a TV audience would be to have markings on the cue ball to enable the viewer to see the different types of spin, etc. that's imparted. This may help to bring to the fore the complexity of the game and the fine margins involved. I know they do this with three cushion billiards. Well, John, welcome along. Uh, it has kind of been discussed before. Sean Murphy is, is an advocate of this. I have to say, not there isn't a great campaign within the sport though <laughs> to make this happen. I don't. I don't think it's one of those things. I don't think people care enough about. It might actually, as you say, help to understand sort of how spin is imparted on the cue ball um, and all the rest of it. But I suspect the only way it would happen, I suspect, is if there was some sort of sponsorship arrangement um, with the ball manufacturers. And then it would probably happen overnight. But I suspect it's an interesting point. I suspect it probably will not happen in the in the short term. Uh, Adam Richards says, A lot of people talk about yours and other commentators' work for different TV channels. Is there much of a difference in your role when working for ITV compared to Eurosport? Also, how is Clive and can we get him back on the podcast? Uh, well, on that latter point, Clive is well in himself. He's, uh, you know, Clive's in his 80s. So during the pandemic, of course, he's had to shield, um, you know, which is... Uh, Obviously, for his own safety and health, um, but he's well in himself, and uh, I'd love to get him back on the podcast. I'm not sure he's massively um, sort of into Zoom and all that, but uh, maybe uh, someone could set that up for him. But hopefully, uh, hopefully, we will get him back on. Um, in terms of the differences between TV channels, the main difference is really ITV have a, a studio and a presenter, so what we're doing for them is commentating on the match. For Eurosport, for example, at the German Masters, there was no studio or presenter. So I was effectively having to do that, introduce the programme, introduce features during the interval, sign off at the end, all that sort of stuff. And that involves people talking in your ear and counting you down and all that sort of stuff that people at home obviously, you know, no reason to be aware of. Um, so, but in terms of the actual match commentary, I don't think it's any really any different. Um, you do it how you do it, I guess. And uh, yeah, I, I suppose that's it. Um, for all the ITV events, we're on site at the tournaments. That's not true for all the Eurosport events. We weren't in Berlin because of the COVID rules, so we're commentating off a monitor. So you're watching the pictures that's being sent to you by the director um, that are being watched by everyone else. Whereas obviously, you know, when you're at the venue, you can kind of see see the table for yourself. So uh, that would be another difference. But in terms of the sort of content, it's not really that different, I don't think. Alpha Bonzi has three questions this week. He said, I want to start by joining the chorus of people 
praising your podcast for keeping them sane during this lockdown era. The only thing worth getting up for on a Tuesday. I hope it continues past the crucible, if not as a solo project, maybe in conjunction with Talking Snooker. Well, uh, listen, they're doing fine on their own. They don't need me. But uh, anyway, the three questions. Number one, Ding Junhui, yesterday's man at just 34, must be a little bit of envy watching Zhao and Yan get the glory for China. Uh, well, let's deal with these one at, one at a time. I don't think he's envious. I, I imagine he's proud um, because it's directly through his um, achievements and legacy that these Chinese players have come through. You know, Ding was the first Chinese star. His capture of the 2005 China Open sparked a boom in China. It sparked massive investment in proper facilities and getting wild cards into tournaments and getting experience for the likes of Yan and Zhao playing professionals has been a help. Um, funding as well, and it's all contributed to Chinese players now, you know, really coming to the fore. So that's all down to Ding, and I hope, I'm sure he is proud of that. And he's not finished at all, you know, he's all right, he's down at 30 in the world, but he's such a good player, such a good break builder, I really feel he's going to come good again. As you say, 34 years of age, so there's nothing really these days. Um, I think he will come good, and uh, maybe he'll be inspired by them and try and get his sort of Chinese number one spot back, because at the moment he's the fourth highest ranked Chinese players, Yao Jingtong, Yan Bingtao, Xiao Yulong, all, all above him. I think Ding Junhui, uh, you know, would look at that and think, OK, the only way is up really for me now. So hopefully that's right. He had a tough time during the pandemic. He had to stay. I wrote a Eurosport column about this a couple of weeks ago. He had to stay in the UK to play in all the tournaments. But his wife and daughter, you know, very young daughter, back in China. So he didn't see them for 10 months. And that's, you know, a very difficult separation, of course, for anybody. Um so, you know, it's no great surprise his form dropped off a cliff in that time. Um, you know, you get British players complaining they've got to drive four hours to Milton Keynes. He's stuck on the other side of the world, away from his family. So I think you can only have sympathy for that. But uh, I, I get the feeling, ding, it's going to come good again. Uh, Alpha, second question. In sympathy to your Scottish correspondent, Reworld Snooker, screwing up booking the venue for the Scottish Open, why don't they book Aberdeen for next season? Well, <clears throat> I've said a number of times it wasn't World Snooker's fault what happened there. They booked the venue in Glasgow, but the day before the box office was due to open, they were told that because it had a betting sponsor, the venue would not allow it to proceed. And by that time, all the other venues had been booked up. So that wasn't World Snooker's fault. Um, in terms of why don't they book Aberdeen, well, it's not as simple as that, um, because they have to agree the dates with the broadcaster, and then they have to try and get a venue for those dates. And one of the problems is... Obviously, they have to book it for the week. So if that venue that you mention, or any venue, for example, on the Wednesday has an event in it, you can't book it for the week. It's not easy to just book a venue for the week. Now, hopefully, I mean, there's been talk of going to Aberdeen. Hopefully, you know, that that, that has been arranged. We don't know. We'll find out when the calendar comes out. But it, it, getting venues is not easy. You know, there's a lot of competition for good venues. And like I say, if there's just one day where there's something in that venue, then they have to look somewhere else. So it's not... It's not straightforward. Uh, number three, he's, Alpha says, in sympathy with another correspondent with the UK Championship, why can't the top 16 be seeded straight through to the last 32, joined by 16 qualifiers as at the Crucible? Increase the number of frames and make the UK Championship special again. Well, the answer to that is it can, it can happen, but it's not going to because Will Snooker have this flat draw uh, system that they're persisting with. Um, the broadcaster, in this case the host broadcaster of the BBC, seem happy enough with that. So, you know, there's there's not the desire from the organisers and the broadcasters to do that. Um, in terms of increasing the number of frames, 
I think at the back end, I agree with that. I wouldn't have it best of 17 from round one again. I think those days are over. Um, but maybe from, say, the quarterfinals onwards, yeah, why not? But um, again, that would that would need a format change, and there doesn't seem to be any great desire to do that. I think that the UK Championship is still regarded as a as a big event by sort of most people on the outside. And uh, I, mean, I thought this year's tournament was fantastic. Um, you know, with Xiao Jitong obviously beating Luca Brasella in the final after a very memorable couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, the answer is it could happen, but it's not going to because the people running the tournament don't want it to. Now, Simon Thompson writes, We've seen it on quite a few occasions this week. Players raising their arms, gesticulating, puffing their cheeks out, rolling their eyes to the heavens and generally whinging and moaning when the table conditions don't suit them exactly. Kicks are a feature of the game, always have been, always will be. If it happens to you, stop getting shirty and get on with it. Equally, the table is made of slabs of rock balanced on planks of wood covered with a bit of cloth. You simply can't expect the table to be 100% flat all the time. If you can't cope with the uncertainty this brings, don't play dead weight 12-foot roll-ups. I might be a little facetious here, but the table conditions are the same for both players. Just get on with it. Well, <laughs> quite strident from Simon. Um, it's certainly true that every venue presents its own challenge. Um, I mean, famously at the Crucible, the, the table legs are actually under the stage on kind of stilts they call acro props sort of propped up um underneath the stage and so obviously it is quite hard actually to get them always absolutely dead level um players there is a lot of gesticulating certainly if, if there's a roll off the player will let you know it's never their fault um however i have to say i mean look the table fitters do a great job and they do as well as they can but the players i think do deserve the best conditions and Okay, it's the same for both, but the analogy I always use is if they let the grass grow all year at Wimbledon uh, and I turned up to play Roger Federer, I'd have a better chance of beating him (laughs) if he hadn't cut the grass than if the conditions were perfect. So we want the conditions to be as good as possible. Um, It's always unfortunate when they're not, um, but all the the venues have their own challenge. They're not all the same, and uh, it's, it's not an easy job. You see the guys, the table fitters, lugging those slates around. It's not a glamorous job. They do a great job, and the problem is... It's a bit like refereeing in a way. You sort of only really hear about them if something goes wrong. And, uh, you know, that, that's uh, that's unfortunate. Now, Andy uh, is from the Northern Snooker Centre. He says, I'm a new listener and first-time emailer. I'm loving what I've heard so far. Keep it up. Well, give it time, Andy. Now, he asks a lot of questions here about um, how the stats are worked out in terms of long potting and safety and so on. And uh, this needs to be clarified. I, the simple answer, Andy, is I don't have the specific answers to your questions, but uh, I will try and find out. But you ask another question here. He says, if there's no maximum break in a tournament, should the highest break prize be split between all the total clearances rather than giving it to a 145? It's kind of the same level of skill. They're all potting the same number of balls. Is there an official name stroke term for a true maximum break of 155? I had a mildly heated debate with a quiz master at a pub quiz over this issue. His question was, what's the maximum break in snooker? We put 155... And it was marked as incorrect. I didn't kick up a fuss mid-quiz, because we won by miles anyway. But after the quiz had finished, I tried to explain how someone could get a free ball and score more than 147. But he didn't really understand. I was more annoyed, and uh, there'll be language here, so uh, if if you're offended by these things, then uh, stand by. He says, I was more annoyed by the chirpy pisshead sat next to him, who told me a 147 is actually known as a maximum, and that Ronnie fella got one in a couple of minutes. Cheers, Fat Barry. You really are a shining. You really are shining a lucid light down this soggy sporting wormhole. 
Pat oh, Barry seems like a character. Uh, anyway, if a player got a 155 break or any break over 147, do they get the same prize money as a maximum 147 break? As a player is rounding off a big break, there is sometimes a graphic on the bottom of the screen showing the colours of the balls he or she has potted with a tally. So should there be a special prize awarded for a total clearance that includes potting all six colours after reds? You could call it a rainbow break. Anyway, I'll be more impressed by that than a 145. Uh, on the point of splitting it between total clearances, um, I'm not sure that would fly. I mean, the fact is a 145 is better than a 144. At some stage, you've taken a high colour. There's a question about whether high break prizes are a bit anachronistic in this day and age, um, but that's maybe a debate for another day. In terms of the maximum, the 155 is a maximum. There's two maximum breaks, 147 and 155. If you make, for example, a 148, which JB Burnett did, at the UK qualifiers back in 2004, that's not a maximum. Um, and of course, famously, because he made it in the pre-televised days, there was no high break prize. So he got nothing at all for a piece of history. I say he got nothing at all. They invited him to York. He hadn't qualified for the UK Championship. They invited him and they were going to essentially sort of give him a round of applause. Um, standard fair train tickets. And they worked out the return ticket they offered him he would have been in York about an hour before he had to turn around and go back to Glasgow. He wasn't interested, strangely enough. Uh, Jamie Burnett didn't didn't uh, take them up on that offer. But essentially, that's it. There's two maximum breaks, 147, 155. I remember being at the Crucible over 20 years ago. And in the actual sort of official literature, a maximum was stated as 147. But they had to rewrite it for two reasons. One, because 155 is also a maximum. But, but two, you can make a 147 and it not be a maximum. If you make it with the free ball a 16 red total clearance, you could have a 147 that isn't a maximum. And if that happens one day, you know, it'll take some explaining, um, certainly to the quiz master that you, uh, that you mentioned there. So, um, yeah, so there's two maximums, 147 and 155. Anything in between would be a 16 red total clearance. And uh, I guess the, uh, the thing about the high breaks, you know, again, it, it, whether we still need a high break prize, I suppose you'd add something, but... I don't know if people always remember who's made them or always care. I mean, can you, anyone remember who made it at the Masters? Uh, I, I had to look it up. It was Stuart Bingham, 139. Fair play to him. He got 15 grand out of it. But, uh, yeah, it, 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 maybe that maybe that's something that, I don't know, has uh, sort of outlived its usefulness. Because, of course, one of the reasons it was brought in, because it used to be quite rare that you would get centuries. Um, it was quite a thing if someone made a you know, 130-plus break. That was kind of regarded as great. But now we just, we kind of expect it. Uh, we'll end there, I think. Uh, I hope everyone enjoys the Players' Championship um, in uh, in sunny Wolverhampton. And, uh, of course, now, as I say, the season really is very busy. Uh, there's something basically pretty much almost every day, almost every day to the end of the World Championship. Plenty of action uh, to enjoy. And uh, we will enjoy it here on the podcast, uh, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> so thanks for listening again. We're proud members of the Sports Social Network. Check out the other podcasts. Uh, you can email us, snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. That's snookerscenepodcast at mail.com. Uh, but for now, uh, to wherever you're listening, Fiji or otherwise, thank you and goodbye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.